Good morning. Happy Memorial Day. Hope you're doing well. I am Joel, one of the pastors here. Who's ready for Exodus chapter 19 and 20? Yes? Let's go. Here we go. Exodus 19, open up. That's where we are. As you're opening the Exodus 19, real quick, we are later on in the service. We have the joy, the honor of taking communion. If you did not get one of these, I have some people who will bring it to you. Um, in fact, ushers, if you'll go ahead and just come up front. If you didn't get a communion set here, raise a hand and they will get you one right now. So, yes, awesome. Um, and uh, we know sometimes those are hard to see when you come in, and we are discovering that. So, um, anyway, Exodus chapter 19, jumping into this. Today, we're, we're really going to be starting with the Ten Commandments, and um, that's Exodus chapter 20, which means we, we're going to run through Exodus 19 as quickly as we can, but we have to hit it. There, it's a bridge in many ways. In fact, uh, the book of Exodus... It's redeemed to be ruled. These people have been redeemed in order to be ruled. That's anti-cultural for us today because we don't want to be ruled by anything. We are our own person. We get to live as we want to live. And you can't tell me what to do. No, you're not in it today. Okay. Um, that's all right. But isn't that how we live, yes or no? It's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. I was going to tell you, it's not biblical at all. Um, and so what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break up the book of Exodus for you really as simply as I can in three parts. I want to write this down if you would. If you want to understand, there's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. There's so many different outlines. You can go online, outline, 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 pages long. I'm going to give it to you as simply as I can. Um, Exodus 1 through 12, captivity under Egypt. It's an easy way to think about it. Exodus 1 through 12 is captivity under Egypt. There's only three things I'm going to give to you here. So this is easy. Anybody can write this down. Exodus 1, or remember that's when you've got the people, they're there, and they are, um, we know that they're in captivity with Pharaoh. They try to get out. Um, you have how many plagues? Ten plagues. Thank you, both of you. And um, so you have ten plagues, and all these different things are happening. And so they're living in captivity under Egypt. That's the first 12 chapters. 13 through 18, Exodus 13 through 18, is liberation from Egypt. That's when God delivers them from the Red Sea and the parting and everything else. And they're now starting to live there. But God has been providing for them, right? God struck, uh, I mean, Moses took his staff and struck a rock. And what came out of it? Right, he also provided uh, freedom for them. He, he gave them bread, manna quail for, the, for each day that would fall so that they could eat that. So he's showing his power and his might. So you have first 12 chapters, captivity under Egypt, 13 through 18, liberation from Egypt. Yes, you can go more detailed than this. This is just going to help the majority of people go, oh, okay. And then Exodus 19 through 40. Okay, Exodus 19 through 40. We're jumping into 19 today, so that's why we're walking through this, is revelation from God. So you have, you have captivity under Egypt, liberation from Egypt, and then you have revelation from God. That's what we're looking at here. And they're showing up at this place called Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, uh, some amazing things are going to be taking place. One of the things that's going to be taking place is God is beginning, he's forming the Mosaic Covenant. Moses, Mosaic, if you don't get it, okay, Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is something that the people were to be obedient to and until the Messiah. So it was good for them until the time of Christ, the Son of God, comes. So that's, that's the significance of it. And they're going to learn what it is to be in a covenant relationship. Now, for years, 
Uh, I've been pastoring here for seven years. I'm going to continue for the next seven years to tell you what I'm about to tell you now, okay? Meaning the difference between covenant and contract because it's one of the greatest things that the westernization of the church has done is we've removed. I, I wouldn't even say we've removed. We have substituted a covenantal relationship for a contractual relationship. And as a result, we have cheapened our understanding of what it is to walk with God and under God. I feel like I'm talking really fast today, am I? I have so much to cover. I'm like, I feel like a machine gun right now. Um, the, uh, oh, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Okay, here we go. So difference between covenant and contract. Here's, what, here's some of the difference. Because a, a covenant, Mosaic covenant, a covenant is an agreement that is made that governs the, a relationship. So the covenant that you've made with God, your understanding of what it is to be in a covenant with God dictates and outlines what it is for you. It'll let you understand what, the type of relationship that you're in with God. I mean, it really will. I do believe, I'll go ahead and tell you now, I believe the vast majority of people who claim to know and to believe in God are actually, they're living under the premise of being in a contractual relationship rather than a covenantal one truly believe that I'm not saying that judgmentally it's just you're going to see why I'm saying that in a moment and we're going to be challenged to evaluate it here's what a covenant is a covenant this is a simple way of thinking about it. I told you I'm just going to keep saying this a covenantal relationship this is what it is it's a covenant that requires giving up rights you've heard this from me before if you've been coming in this church for any amount of time it requires giving up rights and picking up responsibilities so you're giving up your rights. Well, this is what I want to do. You can't tell me to do anything else, right? Well, you give that up. You give up rights. If you believe in Jesus, you give up your rights to him to be obedient to his word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the person with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their life who is being willing to be obedient to that is the most powerful weapon that God chooses to use to defeat Satan. Amen? That's what you get to be a part of. So a covenantal relationship is somebody who's giving up their rights and, their, and, and picking up the responsibility of what it is to be a child of God and live under his supremacy. So that's what it is to be in a covenant with each other. To be in a covenant with God. And God's helping to teach the people this because they were struggling with it. Why? Because I think the majority of them were living in a contractual relationship. A, con a contractual relationship is about protecting our rights and responsibilities. We do it all the time. If you go buy a house, right? Many of us have, maybe some of you have gone and, and, and paid $570,000 too much for a house recently because that's all you can get today, right? <laughs> I'm like, I found a house the other day. I'm like, oh, man, that's a good price. That's amazing. It's like 330 grand. Maybe it's got some woods on it. That'd be great. I need some privacy. And then I think it sold for $18 million. Um, <laughs> isn't it nuts what's happening today? Um, I'm going to sell my house. Problem is I have seven people in my house right now. And so if you have a basement available, let me know. Um, we're going to jump into that. So here we have this contractual relationship. It's all about protecting our rights and responsibilities. So you go, hey, I want to buy this house. You go to the bank, and you each agree to terms. I'm going to pay this percentage rate today around 3%, which is crazy, 
right? I remember like my parents, I remember we got our first rate, 18%, um, that kind of thing, right? 3%, you're saying 15-year term, whatever it might be, it's basically free money today, it feels like. And you're, you're agreeing with the bank, with the mortgage company, what you're willing to do. That's a contract. You do that in, when you sign a, a contract with a company. Maybe you work for, they're agreeing to pay you a certain amount. We do it here at the church with all the employees here, and we got two more starting this week, and we're going, okay, this is what we're willing to pay you, and these are the days you get off and the days you don't get off, and this is how you have to submit. If you don't submit for the days off, and there are too many people already taking off that week, you don't get to take off that week, and all these, right, you have to have it right, you have to have it written down. We live, we know how to do this because we do it continually. We don't know how to live in this. We live in a society that says protect what you want and what you value. And so Exodus chapter 19, 20 and following, it's all about this revelation from God and entering into a covenant with him and understanding what that looks like. So in Exodus 19, here comes Israel. They're, they're, they're here at Mount Sinai, same place. Remember Exodus chapter 3? This little thing called the burning what? Bush. So here's a burning bush, similar area. Here's because he had, remember, he had murdered an Egyptian, Moses. So he runs, scared that Pharaoh is going to take his life. You remember all this, yes? So all that's taking place. Well, now he's back to the same place, but he's just got a couple million people with him. And so here they are arriving at Mount Sinai. Um, and we think about, I love this too. I mean, it's something to think about. Here he is, Mount Sinai. God's going to make himself known in a, in a significant way. Um, rightfully so, we always think of God as being high up. Um, we know that the Canaanites believe that their, their uh, pantheon of gods was there, Mount Hermon in northern Israel. Um, the Greeks believe Mount Olympus is where their gods live. The temple... Uh, that was built in Jerusalem, Mount Zion is what they referred to that as on the top part there in Jerusalem. And now we have Mount Sinai. We always think God is there. God is everywhere, but we always kind of envision that. And 19 is preparing the people for that covenant that is coming from God, the Mosaic covenant. It's preparing the people. They're witnessing some pretty amazing things. When you walk through Exodus chapter 19, some things that you're going to see them witnessing is that all of a sudden you're going to understand that they're going to see um, this mountain tremble. Right? Look, look at just verse 14 and following. It says, Moses, he had come down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. They washed their garments. Continues on verse 16. Um, it says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, let me stop real quick. They took their stand at the foot, the foot of the mountain because there are only certain places people could go to on that mountain according to who they were. Moses could go all the way up. Some of the priests could go to a second level, and then others were there at the base. It's the same way they could then configure the temple. You know how you, there, there's certain places that people can go, the outer gates, etc. There are certain people who could go into certain areas of the temple. It's the same kind of mentality. There are certain places they could go up to in the, on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, and places where people could not go. Those were instructions from the Lord. But here it says that the people, they're like, wow. 
Moses brings the people out to the camp to meet God and says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it like, in, in it like fire. It says the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. This is cool, right? The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So all of these things are taking place, right? Even Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 16 through 20-ish, 21, something like that, Hebrews 12, it speaks about these very things happening. So thousands of years later, they're still referencing this, by the way. They're speaking about the significance of God coming and speaking and, and the mountain trembling and the, mo and, the, and the smoke and everything else that's happening. This is a major event. And you know that it was waking the people up. It was like, guys, don't you understand? And yet they've already been through so much. Remember the, the ten plagues? How many plagues? Good. I just told you the answer. So you know there's ten plagues, and then all of a sudden God's delivering the people out, and they go through the Red Sea. There's a parting. Here comes the water. It kills them all, all these different things. And yet there's the water out of a rock. God's doing miracle after miracle, but after every one, it didn't take very long for the people to start doing what? Grumbling and complaining. Why were they doing that? Because they, were, they felt that they were under a contract with God, that God owed them something. God doesn't owe you anything more than what he has already done and the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. The reason we are struggling so much today in our understanding of God is because we think no matter what God has done, he owes us more. He does not owe us anything else. If you have lost a loved one, right, way too early in life, I am sorry, but that's called the fall. It's called sin. People who are treating you poorly, I am sorry, but that's called sin. God allows there to be free will, but that's called sin. It's the fall. But because we have an understanding of God that says, you better do for me when we don't get what we want, instead of giving up our rights, we are claiming our rights, we get upset with God. And then we're like, well, I'm not going to go to church anymore. Huh. Take that, God. Is anybody know what I'm talking about here? And so then we live in this continual state of God having to do more for us because we live in a contract, not a covenant. And when God doesn't do what you want, you get upset with God. God, may we please grow up. May we please mature in our understanding of who you are. So this is what's happening. So here comes Moses and go up to the top of the mountain. And on Mount Sinai, Moses receives a couple of things. He receives the law. And he receives the tabernacle instructions. Uh, this is, this is the, the law is really the people's obedience to God. There's two different types of, uh, of covenants. One is um, conditional and one's unconditional. This is a conditional covenant that God is making with the people. A conditional covenant is dependent upon your obedience. 
the people's obedience. And so he's going to receive instruction on the law about them and what they need to do to be obedient to God. But they've witnessed his power. They've witnessed his strength. They've witnessed his might. And now he's going, you better do this, guys. Listen up. Have you not seen that I'm already God and that I can do all these things? And he's also going to receive instruction on the tabernacle, which is how to worship God, how they should view God. We're going to get into that in just a moment with the ten words of God, ten commandments we call them. So here they are witnessing all of his power and all of his might. The Lord says to Moses, verse 24 of 19, go down, come up bringing Aaron with you. let Let me say this real quick. Moses went up and down. This is not a small mountain. He went up and down this mountain over and over and over again. And today, does it, does it seem like to anybody else, we just seem lazier today? I mean, all of it. I, again, I'm not trying to be rude. I, I just know, I know this. Uh, my garbage comes every Friday morning. Anybody else have Friday morning pickup? After five years, they shifted it from Monday to Friday. It took me four months to stop taking it out on Monday. But I took it out. I, I always take it out right when I hear the truck beeping to back up to pull away from my house. And I'm the one running out in ballot boxers. Wait! Anybody, anybody else? Anybody? If you're one of my neighbors, I'm sorry. God blessed me this last week, though. On Thursday night, 1030, I was like, I need to take the garbage out. So I got up, and I went out took it and literally I hear the truck pulling away the next morning I'm like oh man I gotta walk all the way to the driveway to get it we're just lazy it's like 90 feet we're just lazy right most of us wouldn't we would stop watching tv if we no longer had remotes I don't have a remote by the way in my house we lost it punishment to my family we don't get a new one Right? So literally, we've lived here seven years, never with a remote. And some of you are like, wow. Wow. Now, it took me about three months to figure out where the on button was. Because they're like, where is it? I can't figure it out. Um, We're lazy. And yet here's Moses, 80 years old roughly, and he's walking up and down this mountain. Every single time God says, get up, because he is so ready to hear of God and from God. We are spiritually lazy today. And if it's not convenient enough, if it's too much work, we go, no, can't do that. And just test it out. How much do you want to hear from God? Who's willing to walk? Oh, let me tell you, next week's worship. Oh, I'm so pumped for it. But who wants to walk to church next week? All right, would you? Here's a good question. Would you walk from, church, uh, from your house to church next week just to hear his word? Or would you go, it's too much, I'm sorry. It's too much. Next week may be the first time we have plenty of parking. I didn't even think about that till right then. I was like, oh, I just fixed our parking issues. If you love Jesus. So here's Moses going up and down because of the covenant that he was desiring to live in with God and the covenant that God was making with him for the people. And so then we jump into Exodus chapter 20. So that's what 19 is doing as you step into Exodus chapter 20. Remember, chapters and verses, we added those later just so we could help find them out. Council of Nicaea did that a few hundred years after the time of Christ. But here we jump into Exodus chapter 20. 
And what we find are the ten words of God. Now, it, it really doesn't mean ten commandments. It really is words. I'm still going to use the word commandments because we're so accustomed to that. But it's really the ten words that God has given to them to help enter into a covenantal relationship. All right? Are you saying, this is, this is what I need you to do? The first four... Um, let's go to the next slide because this is, yes, it's a covenant between God and Israel. But the first four are, horiz- uh, are vertical, which means they're all about your relationship with God. Hopefully you know this. First four about, okay, this is who we are in relationship to who God is and how we should view him. That's what we're going to look at today. The next six are horizontal, meaning they're about your relationship that you have with other people. The, the care that you have for other people. The love that you have for other people. You can't do this, the six at the end well if you don't have an understanding of your relationship with God first and what that needs to look like. There are too many people who are struggling to have a healthy relationship. And the primary reason they're struggling is because they're not willing to get right with God first. And you cannot be in a biblically healthy relationship without first being in a healthy relationship with the Creator yourself. Right? That's why I, I firmly believe. Like, that's why men, I know that some of you don't like to get personal. I know that some of you want to think that you have everything together. You don't. Every one of you is a sinner. You're all wretched, but we all have the love and the grace of God. So please come to this men's conference because we need the accountability of holding each other up to a biblical standard. To be in a healthy relationship with God so that we can be in a healthy relationship with others. And so then we jump in here. And then God is going to remind them. I remember all these miracles, Red Sea, water from a rock, manna from heaven. All these amazing things are happening. They just had smoke and thunder and all this other stuff taking place. Like You would go, okay, there's a God. And this is how he begins. He's, he begins to speak. He says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Everybody say that, please. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's now reminding them, because they kept forgetting, I think, all that God had already done and all the delivery that he had, setting them free from captivity, etc., etc., water from rock, all these different things. And so now here comes God. He steps in and he goes, hey, just a reminder, I'm the Lord your God. And then he calls out ten words, ten commandments that they must hear. Is God needing to remind you that he is the Lord your God? Meaning you're still living your life for yourself. You're still wanting to pick up and claim your own rights. Which means you forget all that God has done for you. You still think God owes you. He doesn't. And so it makes it harder to absorb the words of God and what he's speaking to us. Because then he jumps and he says, here's the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I'm wanting you to, I know it's not hard to figure this out, that little underlying area to write it on your page, but we know that when you write something down, you remember it better. And here's fact of the matter. We know that the majority of people who claim to love the Lord can't tell you five commandments. We can tell you other stuff. Five greatest basketball players of all time. Right? We can go through that. Who's the greatest football um, quarterback ever. Ready, set, go. Who? Tom who? 
Tom Manning. Is that his name? I don't know. Hey, we'll, we'll debate the goat of all kinds of things. Who are the, who's, what's, who's the greatest band of all time? Ready, set, go. Nobody. <laughs> wow. I got some good stuff out there. Um, CCR. Anybody know CCR? Anybody over the age of 40? That's awesome. I feel so young. Um, and we know so much about what somebody, like what their ERA is, and we know about people as how many top tens they have, and we know about all these different things, but yet the majority of people can't give you five of the Ten Commandments. The very thing that is to guide and to set a moral compass for our society, we can't tell you. Why? There's one reason. It really doesn't matter that much to us. It really doesn't matter to us. We want to li listen, because we're still going to live the way we want to live. And if I push you too hard, even biblically, most people will leave. That's how it is. Some, there's some honesty for us today, isn't it? So he calls out, you shall have no other gods before me. Love nothing more than the Lord. It's really a, this is really about a declaration of belief in God. That's what this is about. You shall have no other gods. I mean, they're, they're, all of the gods are actually fake. They're not real. There's only one true God. But yet, if we're honest, we know that there are other gods, there are other things that we worship, that we put on a pedestal that they shouldn't be on. Maybe I should even just stop for a moment and do this. Are we willing today to truly evaluate and admit that some of us have other gods, other idols, and that we use the Lord's name in vain, and that we do things that we shouldn't be doing? Are we willing to actually evaluate that? Knowing that, do we believe that transformation is a continual process? Yes or no? So then are we willing to step into that process of going, you know what, I have other gods, I have other idols in my life. I have things that I say aren't as important to God, but I'm quickest to not go to church because of something else coming up. Or I'm, I'm faster to not go, because coming to church is not about going, I, I went to church. It's about a desire to learn more about who God is and about together corporately worshiping and declaring the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Amen? Listen, if you have two different things in your life, you're always going to surrender first that which means less to you. So if we're going to dive into the ten words of God, the commandments, this covenantal relationship, the Mosaic covenant, if we're going to jump into that, can we at least evaluate whether or not we're in a covenant relationship with God? Or if you really think, here's a great question for you, do you actually operate under the premise that you're under, under a contract with God and that he owes you more, that these are just simply suggestions for your life. Because here he is acknowledging, listen guys, you should have no other gods before me. I am to be everything to you. That's what it is to be in a relationship with God, that you give up your rights, you pick up responsibilities. That's why in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy comes back and it kind of, Deuteronomy is a lot of a recap of what has happened, especially the first several chapters, to the people of Israel. 
to the people of God. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. It says, hear, hear O Israel, listen up. That's what it is. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's your mind, your feelings, all, everything in you. You shall love the Lord your God. Do you love the Lord your God like that? If you're under contract, you only love the Lord your God up to the point in which you think he's met the responsibilities that you think God has in your life. And when he hasn't done what you want, you no longer love him as much. So you go, oh, I don't know about God anymore. I don't know about faith anymore. Is this anybody echoing? Right? Man, we have such a corrupted view of who God is. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's your mind, your feelings, with all of your soul, with your life, like every bit of energy that you have, and with all of your might. That's your spiritual oomph, spiritual chutzpah. Everybody say spiritual chutzpah. That's your word of the week. Got to use it every day. Do you have a spiritual oomph, a spiritual chutzpah for God? He's like, you better not have any other gods before me. Now, before I jump in, because I think this is a tie between the first and the second commandment. Um, here, I want to tell you one of, one of the greatest plans of, of Satan. All right? There's, there are a lot of things in life that are good things. Okay? Hear me say that. There are a lot of things in life that are good things. But what Satan often does is he takes something that once you view as good... And over time, it ends up becoming a God. Lowercase g, of course. Right? What began as a six-year-old out in the yard with the father and a son throwing a ball? That's a good thing. And time together. Man, look at, look at how we get to build into each other. But then over time... We don't say no to the baseball camps in order to worship corporately to an almighty God. We say no to church so that we can go to a baseball camp. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the very things that were good have now become a God, meaning of greater priority than who he is. And we know more about Greg Maddox, who's an old school pitcher, and about his ERA than we know about what the word of God says about who we should be. Now, I'm not, talk I'm not picking on baseball players. Let's go to football. Let's go to music. Let's go to our job and accounting. Let's go to whatever it is. It doesn't matter. And we, start, we know more about how to fix a boat than we know about what God instructs us to be as a person who's in living in a covenant relationship with him. And something that is good over time, right? We just take, this is what we do here at CP. We take one small step closer to that good thing and it becomes more and more of a God as we distance ourselves from God. Can we be mature enough to at least ask the question of whether or not we're worshiping something greater than the one true God? Can we at least be mature enough to look at a friend and say, do you think I have an idol in my life? Do you think I know of something of greater value than God, that I treat something of greater value than I treat the Lord? Is there anything in my life that that's the case? Can we at least be mature enough to do that? Because he says, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Second one is so similar where he says, you shall not make idols or images to worship anything other than me. That's another way of saying, you better not have anything above the Lord in value, of worth, of authority in your life. He says, he calls it out. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven or an earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Don't bow before anything. I, the Lord, am a jealous God. He knows this, and I am the one worthy of glory. I am the one worthy of worship. I am the one worthy of your honor. He says in verse 6, Show steadfast love to thousands, to everybody around you who love me and keep my commandments. We are to show steadfast love. And steadfast love is about we are to show complete commitment to God being first in our life. We must evaluate whether or not the Lord is an add-on in our life. You should not make... Part of the reason he's saying don't make up any images is because even... Guys, we, it's amazing what we can worship. We worship sometimes the way we worship instead of worshiping God. Wow, well, you know, it wasn't emotional enough for me. Or, you know what, the, we had windows, and I can't worship with windows. It's too light. It's too dark. It's too loud. It's too soft. Literally, I've been in churches like, I hear one afternoon, I'm like, okay, it's too loud. And the next person walks up, can you turn it up? Now, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Do you know, it's too dark in here, I can't see. Hey, can you turn the lights down because it's distracting to see other people? Exhausting. We worship the way we worship. We worship just about everything other than taking time to worship God. And any idol that we make is only, any image that we have is only, going, is only going to limit our understanding of God because there's no way that you can create an image that is actually reflective of a God who is so marvelous. So you shall not make or have any idol. Third, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Carry the name of the Lord with respect. Carry the name of the Lord well. The New Testament tells us that we are to be ambassadors of Christ, that we are to be representatives of the Lord. It means we are to carry the name of the Lord well, and so the way that we speak is a reflection of how we view something, right? The way I speak about my spouse is a reflection of the way that I, I view my spouse. Well, the way that I speak about God is a reflection of how I view God. John Knox in the Latin says, don't take the name of the Lord lightly on your lips. I would say never use the name of the Lord insincerely. To bear his name in vain is to live no differently than the people who have no stated allegiance to God. When we say Jesus Christ, we are calling on the Messiah, the Redeemer for the entire world. Can we, uh, can we, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, can we stop cheapening the name of my Lord? 
If we, have, if we claim to, know, to, to love the Lord and we can't exhibit more discipline and control than that, then we're not under control of the Holy Spirit. We are under the control of self. And that means we have not fully surrendered to God, which means there's no way that we can know what it is to live in a covenantal relationship. We're under a contractual relationship, and we think God owes us more. Amen? I know Pastor Nathan just walked out, and I feel like I'm just getting going. This, Pastor Nathan Potter, if you don't know him, is an incredibly patient man. He has worked with me five years, six years, six years. God bless you. Stop cheapening the name of my God, please. He has redeemed me and I am his slave and I will die for him. Stop cheapening the name of my God. Fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Make time for the Lord, make time for the family of God. Sabbath. Shabbat literally means a day of ceasing. That you, you have a day where you stop long enough to go, man, I just need to sit with God. I need to worship Him. we got six other days to work. Are we willing to do that? And it doesn't mean that you can't do anything. It, it just means that you need to have that day of being reminded that the creator of the universe is in crazy love with you. told you Deuteronomy reminds us of all the things that were happening in Israel and it tells us listen don't let all these things escape your mind it tells us Deuteronomy 4 just scribble it down real quick Deuteronomy 4 9 and 10 it says pass these things on it's talking about these very things it's pass them on to your children your grandchildren don't forget the day when the Lord stood at Mount Sinai and he told you he summoned you to instruct you. Where you are learning, it says, where you are learning to fear me. We need to fear, do you fear the Lord? That means you have jaw-dropping awe of who he is. But there's some questions I would love for us to be mature enough to truly evaluate if we have lords other than the one true Lord, if we have gods other than God, if we have idols in our life, and there's four questions I want to encourage you to ask of friends and family this week. Have the courage to do it. Put your shoulders back, put your head up, and say, hey, I've got some hard questions. First question ties with the first one. How can you grow in your love of the Lord? That's what we need to do. How can you grow in your love for the Lord? Second question I would encourage you to ask is, what idols do you need to remove in your life? Right, can we have enough spiritual fortitude oomph, right, to look at other people and go, man, do, I have an, do you see an idol in my life? 
Do you see something I'm giving greater attention to than God? How can you carry the name of the Lord your God with greater respect? And then lastly, are you actually taking time to rest with the Lord? The two of you, knowing that you are loved and adored by a wonderful creator. God, I thank you that today we get to evaluate the type of relationship we actually have with you. Whether we're living in a covenant relationship, whether or not we are eager to obey your words, your commands, to, to live by your instruction or to live by our own merit. God, may we know the difference. I thank you for what you have done in the Mosaic Covenant, but also in the covenant primarily through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, coming and offering his entire self for us. God, made a day be a spiritual spark in our life to give us a spiritual oomph that maybe we've never had to surrender completely our life to you. In Christ's name, amen.